that you're here tonight. I know uh, we've got a, a few new guests with us. I've got a chance to meet a few, and so welcome. I know it takes courage coming to a new place, and so we're glad that you're here. I'm Jack, one of the pastors here, and we're going to spend a little bit of time looking into God's Word and, and maybe some implications, some application to our life, and then uh, worship a little bit here at the end. We're going to have communion and a space for that if you want to partake in that. And so that's kind of a normal flow for us on a Sunday. We're glad that you're here. So um, I know uh, there's a, a football game going on right now. So if we could just pray for the Steelers, that'd be great. So, okay. <coughs> and that's my team. We are diving into a brand new series tonight. And tonight's kind of a setup, kind of an intro a little bit. We'll look at a few verses here, but kind of giving you a backdrop a little bit on this, looking in the book of Colossians. So if you have your Bibles, you can go to the book of Colossians in the New Testament. If you have your phone, you can actually pull that out and go to YouVersion, which is a free Bible app. And if you click on events, you can search Element City Church, and then all of our stuff will be there for tonight. We kind of do that every week. Um, and that's a way you can follow along, too, with all the different texts and notes and stuff that uh, we'll be having. So you can refer back to it throughout the week if, if you want to. So um, Colossians is this incredible book written by the Apostle Paul. Uh, these are often sometimes called the prison letters. So this is a Paul is, most scholars believe, in kind of under house arrest here in Rome, and he writes... Uh, four letters of the New Testament from there. Colossae is the town that this is going to. That's where this church is at. And so tonight's gonna be just kind of a backdrop of some of these things and looking at these first few verses to kind of give you a, an understanding of what's going on and what's gonna transpire as we kind of make our way toward Easter and the celebration of all of who Jesus is and what he's done. We're gonna look at Colossians, which is really anchored around the hope that we have in Jesus. So the song we just sang is like super appropriate for where we're going these next few weeks together. So in Colossians, uh, so, uh, uh, Paul has written this letter, Ephesians, Philippians, Philemon, which is one chapter. If you want to try to ever memorize a book of the Bible, that one could be a good one. Uh, maybe Third John, because it's really short too. But um, that'll let you happen that. And then also here, Colossians. So uh, this is written in a way to get and deliver most likely, probably by Philemon himself, because Philemon was a an own slave that Paul wrote a letter on behalf of going back and, and kind of on the way, he might have passed through Colossians. And this is a place Paul had never visited. So Paul didn't establish this church. In fact, in verse eight, you'll read about the guy who did. And that guy probably ran into Paul when he was in Ephesus and got discipled by Paul, got it early into that early church and was sent out, just like we're a church plant. Uh, Paul probably sent him out uh, to start new churches in different places. He ends up in Colossians or Colossae, and that's where he is. He establishes this church and things are going, and he's now probably come back to Paul and reporting back to him some things that are transpiring within the church to kind of understand the church culture, kind of letting Paul know. And here under house arrest, Paul is writing this letter inspired by the Holy Spirit to send back to them and then be passed around the other churches in that region. So this is about in, in modern-day Turkey now. This is kind of above uh, the coast a little bit, inland a little bit. Uh, Laodicea is a town that you'll read about if you read in Revelation. Uh, one of John's letters is written there. It's not too far away from Colossae. And this is written there. The cities of Heropolis and Laodicea are not too far away from where Colossae is. Now, like some of the other epistles, uh, this is written to this church, specifically to them, to this group of believers, to this group of people, uh, with a purpose. 
And one of the purposes Paul is writing about is some of the, the false teaching uh, that's going on, that's beginning to infiltrate the church a little bit, begin to infiltrate a little bit of, of what they've heard about the gospel. When we say the word gospel, what we mean is that when you read that throughout the Bible, that means it's the story of Jesus, the, the whole story, okay? The story of why he had to come, who he was, what he was about, his death, his resurrection, the whole thing. That's the gospel. So when Paul's gonna defend and kind of point back to the gospel that was given to them, and he wants them to stay anchored to that, and he's gonna write some words in here that are challenging. They're gonna be challenging to us because a lot of the culture around Colossae was maybe very similar to what's going on in in our culture, in our world, even today. Uh, There's a lot of infiltration of other philosophies and other ideas and other thoughts about other religions and so, uh, and people are beginning to, to almost kind of do this buffet thing where they're, they're taking a little bit of this and a little bit of that, we'll, we'll unpack that in a second. And so there's a little bit of heresy kind of going on that Paul wants to address and he's writing and really in the first two chapters, you can break the book up that in the first two chapters, Paul's writing a lot of the theology of why the gospel matters, who Jesus is, and everything he accomplished for us, for you, for me, for the world, and and no matter, whoever's in whatever time or space, all throughout the world, whatever region you're in, here's the story of Jesus, here's why it matters, here's why it's important to kinda cling on to that. And then chapter three and four is more of this unpacking of because of this theology, because of who we are in Christ and who we have. Now, I'm gonna help you understand how that plays out in real life. And so that's kind of a broad stroke understanding of this whole book of Colossians. And we're gonna spend some time looking at historical research has uncovered that a wealth of information about the religious beliefs of the region of which this is taking place and the practices that people often participated in. In the Roman world, in Asia Minor, uh, particularly kind of a fertile place for a lot of different religious beliefs, a lot of different Uh, philosophies of how to approach the spiritual life. And so, not common for people, it wasn't uncommon for people to to maybe pick and choose, kind of like a a mall setting, if you will. Uh, In fact, the the big word, the $15 word is is syncretism. This idea of of someone taking a little bit of, of this belief system and a little bit of this belief system and a little bit of this belief system and they kinda just make their own faith foundation for themselves. And they pick and choose a little bit of, well, I like a little bit of, of this side of things and so I'm gonna make that kind of part of my faith foundation and really what you're doing is you're building your own faith foundation for yourself of what you wanna base your life on when it comes to spiritual matters. And in a lot of ways, the Roman culture in which they lived, um, you remember the, the Romans were great builders were great uh, sustainers and architecture and development of roads and all of that. And so in a way, the world back then in the first century, written probably around 60 AD or so, the world's shrinking. In that region, things were becoming much more accessible, much more mobile, much more uh, available and accessible. And so obviously as multiple things are beginning to creep in, people are beginning to say, well, I kind of like that. I'll take a little bit of that. I'll take a little bit of this and put it together. That's syncretism. That's this idea of kind of picking and choosing, the buffet style, kind of like a mall-like culture where you walk through and go, I like this, I like this, I don't like that, I like this, and so you just kind of make your own and you form your own buffet. 
But listen, the gospel of Jesus and what we read in the New Testament as a follower of Jesus, and maybe that's you, you're here, you're a follower of Jesus, then you need to hear this. As someone who's maybe searching out spiritual things and maybe you're investigating who Jesus is, then I think it's awesome that you're doing it. But you, you need to hear what, what the scripture writers and what people for century after century have said about who Jesus is. So Paul's gonna unpack that for you. And so I just encourage you to maybe come be a part of this series with us and kind of go on a journey of investigating who Jesus is for yourself and begin to see how did Paul see this because how Paul saw it was really radically uh, life-altering for him. And we'll unpack that in a second. But the gospel of Jesus is not just some good advice among many other pieces of advice. It is really the only truly good news available. That's the point of the gospel. That's the point of Christ. That it was God's necessary hand of intervention, an invitation of rescue to a people who were sinking and in trouble left to themselves. That's an understanding of the gospel that apart from understanding the, the power of the gospel and who Jesus is and what he's done on my behalf, left to myself, I cannot make my way to a perfect and holy God. It doesn't matter how many people I help across the street, how much money I give to charity, how many times I go to church, how much of my Bible or other spiritual books I read, it doesn't matter because the gulf is so big from my imperfection to who God is and his holiness there's no way for me to leap my way there, to, to cross some bridge to get there, unless there's something that's been provided. And that's what Paul's gonna unpack about who Jesus is and that he, in essence, has become that bridge through faith in him, that the gospel is anchored solely and only to the finished work of what Jesus did on the cross for you and for me. Now, whether you wanna believe that or not, that's on you. Whether you want to own that and, and kind of align your life to that, that, that's up to you. That's up to me. But what Paul is beginning to, to lay out here and what the scripture writers all throughout the New Testament is pointing to this idea that the power of the gospel is so free because it's not about what you do. It's about what Jesus has already done. And sometimes we get frustrated by that. Have you ever been there? Because there's a part of us sometimes that, that likes to go, well, I feel pretty spiritual. I, I feel like maybe I could do more. I, I'm certainly better than so-and-so here, right? Do you ever find yourself having that internal conversation where you begin ranking where you are on a spiritual ladder compared to other people? Be careful. Because there really is no ladder, is what Paul is saying. The truth is, we're all on the bottom level. And it doesn't matter how much you try to work to do, you need help. Now, so this Pax Romana, maybe you've heard of Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, right? Which we know the peace of Rome that happened in the first century, what we understand that to really mean is we're gonna beat you up, take all your stuff, and suppress you and oppress you, and you're gonna have peace, right? Y'all know history a little bit that Rome never said, oh, Look at those nice people over there. Let's just leave them alone, right? If you study any kind of history, you know Rome just kind of walked wherever they wanted to walk. They beat people up, they took all their stuff, and then they oppressed them and said, now you have peace. After we beat you up behind the woodshed, right? 
That, that's what's happening. So Pax Romana is this idea of the spread of Pax Romana, was this idea of the spread of peace, which in some ways, they were right. Because when they're the only ones in charge, well then there's mostly peace unless you make them mad, right? That you're not having squabbles with other uh, people groups and other armies around them. They ha- are kind of watching over you because they don't want to have other people come pick on their little stepbrothers. And so they have a little bit of peace of what they mean. And some people were buying into the fact that maybe if we just align ourselves with Pax Romana, if we just align ourselves with the political powers and cultures around us, then everything will be okay if we just get the political culture established correctly. Does that sound familiar to a world in which we live? If we can just get it lined up right, and if we could just get it all working well together, then we will accomplish world peace. We'll accomplish everything we need, and we'll be able to to do what we've always set out to say we wanted to do. And what Paul is gonna say here is, eh, no, that's short-lived. And it's really this mirage that's out here. Now, it doesn't mean you shouldn't achieve goodness within political government and within political systems and the way that you govern. Those are good and noble ideals, but they're not the answer, is what Paul's gonna say. There's one answer and that's Christ. So let's read in Colossians chapter one. I'm just gonna read kind of through the first eight verses here, and then we'll unpack a little bit from this, and this will kind of set us up for the weeks to come, okay? So Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. So Timothy is there with him. He's helping write this. He's gonna be a part of this process. Chapter two, to God's holy people in Colossae, to the faithful brothers and sisters who are in Christ. Listen, if you have a pen, underline that in Christ. That is, I think, Paul's key phrase that he uses all the time. He wants you to understand something, that you are hidden in Christ. And when God looks at you as a person who's trusted their life to Jesus, he sees Jesus first. And you're right there. But you're covered by what Jesus has done. You're with him. Grace and peace to you from God our Father. He goes on. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, your love that you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope that's stored up for you in heaven, and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you, and in the same way, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You have learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, who has told you of, who has told us of your love in the spirit. And so Paul is writing and he's saying, look, there's some incredible things that I wanna say to you. Now, he's also gonna have some difficult things to say, but to understand this, you, you really gotta understand who's Paul. So can we go there for a little bit? Who's Paul? Now, if you've been in church for a while, you probably know the name Paul. You probably know his story a little bit. If you're new to church, let me just give you a real quick backdrop of who Paul is. Paul is a dude. There, okay. Um, Paul is a dude, and he has been religiously trained as a Pharisee. 
So in Judaism, he is kind of the elite. He is the best of the best. And where the Bible picks up uh, Paul's story is actually when his name was Saul. And Saul of Tarsus, uh, the first time we read about him, you can read it in Acts, he's standing over an execution of one of these early Jesus followers. And he's standing by the pile of cloaks that people have thrown as they are now picking up rocks and in, in, this is the Bible term, stoning someone else, okay? So we have a different term for that. But the idea of they're chucking rocks in order to kill or severely hurt someone. And this is Stephen. Stephen's one of the early church leaders and one of the followers of Jesus. And people don't like what Stephen is talking about because he's talking about Jesus. And they have picked up stones and they are hurling them at him. And Saul is there. In fact, Saul has become a person who is persecuting the early church. These, uh, the people of the way, people of Jesus' followers, Saul is actually going house to house, region to region, to sniff these people out because in their mind, in the Judaism mind, this has become a sect, this has become a, a, um, a cult in a way that has said that this guy Jesus came back to life we know that's not true is what they're saying and and that cannot be and so they're going after and they're persecuting the early church. Now in this pursuit, this takes Saul all the way up uh, into Syria, farther north than Jesus ever went in ministry. He's so bent on capturing and persecuting the early church. He's so ranting against it and yet one day, on the road to Damascus, Saul has this vision, this encounter with the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus shows up. There's a lot of, uh, you can read about it. Jesus shows up and he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So, uh, I don't know about you, but only people who are alive talk. True. Okay, so Jesus shows up and talks to Saul. And something happens in this moment. And, and I know you can probably begin to go in your mind, and for some of you, you're like, that, I just, oh, I can't get my mind around that. Well, we follow a risen Savior. Can you get your mind around a risen Savior? That's struggling at times, isn't it? But I keep going back to historical proof that where I've wrestled in my own faith of going, there's no way this did not happen. That this idea to believe in a risen Savior is not a wacko idea. That you think and you study history and you realize how the early church started and you realize people like Saul who were dead bent against persecuting and wiping out the church has an encounter of some kind, of some momentous occasion that completely alters everything for him. And he goes from this person who is bent on trying to destroy the church to the person who is to his dying breath defending the church in this risen Jesus. What happened to make that happen? That's not just a coincidence. That's not just something that was, well, you know, he read a nice fortune cookie and it changed his mind. Something happened to Saul. Something happened to, to Paul and this idea of saying, hey, you're going to be this new person who's now being a part of helping this church grow. This was not just a nice little thing. 
This was something dramatic that happened to him. This is Paul. Paul's writing as an apostle. Now, a capital A apostle is someone who has seen and been with Jesus and been commissioned by Jesus. The early church is set up and run by elders and by leaders, and we only have a few of the original apostles, right? And they were, they were established churches, they established leadership and passed that on to other elders and under shepherds to, to shepherd and lead and guide the people to teach the scriptures and to help people understand. But the, the capital A apostles were people who were actually with Jesus and commissioned by him to go, and Jesus commissioned Paul to go into the Gentile world to go beyond the Jewish people that they were trying to reach into the Gentile portion of the world to bring the hope of the gospel, the message of the story of Jesus to them, that they were included in the grace of who Jesus is and the, the story of what he's writing. So through the scriptures, here's one of the things that, that is impressed over and over again, is that we see the church as the primary vehicle of God's presence in this world. It's not the only vehicle, but throughout the scriptures and what Paul championed was that the church was to be the primary vehicle of God's presence in this world, that the global church mattered to Paul. The local church mattered to Paul. That's why he established so many. That's why he wrote to so many. He had so much of his life invested post this encounter with Jesus that it was all he was about, and Paul was all in. And this. In fact, you can read, uh, if you want, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, can I just read a little bit of what Paul's writing here? He's making this statement of, hey, if you think people, if you think other people have credibility about why they follow Jesus and what they have to say and what they're in this movement of Jesus about, I have more. And, and I'm not boasting as someone who has is, who is accomplished all this or it's about me, I, I'm, I'm gonna boast as a fool he says. So he's not trying to brag on himself, but here's what he's committed and said, here's what I'm about, and it's crazy. He says, look, if, um, if I'm speaking as a fool also, I dare to boast. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I'm out of my mind, but I'm more than this. And then he goes on to say this, I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I have received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one, meaning beat 39 times on his back for speaking about Jesus. And Paul didn't quit. He said, I've been there. I've been exposed to death more and more. Three times I've been beaten with the rods. Once I've pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. Anyone ever done that? Imagine that. A night and a day floating at the sea because you're out trying to help people see Jesus. And he didn't quit. He just keeps going. I've been constantly on the mood. I've been uh, on the move. I've been in danger from rivers and dangers from bandits and dangers from fellow Jews and dangers from Gentiles and dangers in the city and the country at sea and danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and I have gone without food and I've been cold and I've been naked. And verse 28 says this. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Paul loved the church. He was passionate about it. The same guy that was trying to stamp it out earlier. 
now writes these letters in the New Testament, inspired by the Holy Spirit, so that you and I in the church of the 21st century can understand this isn't just a whim. This isn't just a guy going, oh, that'd be nice. This is a guy who's committed his whole entire life from that moment on to help the church be everything it needs to be. The global church of followers of Jesus and each local church that he can touch and impact. Paul always seemed to focus on the church. And so in Colossians, he writes to these people, I always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when I pray for you. You'll notice in the first uh, seven verses that Paul mentions Jesus five times. Paul loved to talk about Jesus. And he's getting ready to write to this group of church, this group of people to say, hey, I know there's some things that have kind of gone Uh, that are creeping in. There's some things that are maybe trying to take your focus elsewhere. And I wanna write to you about Jesus because you can never get enough of him. You can never get your arms around fully everything he is and everything he means. That this gospel story is an amazing story. It's God's power. And you've gotta stay tapped into that And so as Paul is getting ready to write this letter to this group of people, he's gonna challenge them. But I love how he starts. I love hearing from Epaphras about your faith and your love and your hope. And he writes as the spiritual grandfather in a way of encouraging his kids, kids he's never met face to face, but of spiritual kids that he understands. He says, I'm writing to you because I hear about your faith. I hear about your love. I hear about the hope being expressed and experienced out one to another and in throughout your region through your church. And it moves me. Paul always seemed to focus on people's spiritual potential over their spiritual performance because their performance in this moment is beginning to wane. And yet Paul begins by saying, I'm just so passionate about what I see in you and what I see of what you can become. That one of Paul's greatest focus was always on people's spiritual potential, not just their spiritual performance of the moment. And I think the church, us, needs to have that same kind of focus. To be focusing with people, loving, in practical and tangible ways and helping them see their spiritual potential, not their spiritual performance, to help them see their destiny more than their history. That they're not stuck in their history. That doesn't have to be the final definer of them. We have a value around here that says progress is greater than perfection. Why? Because perfection's not real. Nobody's perfect. Look at your neighbor, so you're not perfect. Now look back at each other and say, you're not perfect. Because the reality is none of us are. You're not perfect. And what we want, and what Paul's trying to get at here, is we want spiritual progress toward maturity in faith. We want to keep taking those next steps, and that's what Paul's writing to. Look, he has this deep value. Keep taking steps forward, but make sure you're taking them forward in Jesus. Don't get caught up trying to pick and choose from all these other philosophies and thoughts out here 
that sound really good, but they don't actually have the real hope you need. In fact, the hope that's for you is a hope that's stored up in heaven because it's a secure hope. Elpis is the Greek word there for hope. It's this idea of a secured hope that's set aside that, that we can't even touch necessarily, but that's kind of in a safety deposit box that's available, it's there. You don't have easy access to it because you don't want to lose it, but you have it because it's awaiting you. That's what Paul's saying, this hope. In, in my Bible, I wrote, kind of circled that word hope and wrote over to the side that this idea of eternal-based hope is stronger than circumstantial-based hope. We live in a culture that we have great hope when our circumstances are good, when things are easy, things aren't challenging. But this eternal-based hope is one that says no matter what your circumstances are and the struggles that may be around you, you have something to look forward to. That as a follower of Jesus, you not only live life with him, you're not alone in any decision you ever make. You're not alone in any circumstance or scenario that you ever have to navigate. That you're not alone at any point and that you have a hope waiting for you that Jesus will come back for you, for me, and that you have access to him now and forever. That's a crazy, crazy thing to begin to get your mind around, that you have this eternal hope that holds you, that God's hope is not only hinged in a present reality, but it's based on this future certainty that God one day will make all things right, one day will set things right, one day will make you okay, and one day you'll be with him forever. That's the hope we have as a follower of Jesus, and so Paul's wanting his folks to see this, this eternal hope is way better than this circumstantial hope. So he goes on, he says, this is what matters, and in verse, chap- uh, verse six he says, that has come to you, this hope, this message, this faith, hope, and love. These are pillars that are supposed to be a part of your faith. Faith, hope, and love. In fact, I dare you to read any of Paul's letters and not find the words faith, hope, and love. 1 Corinthians 13, the whole love chapter. At the very end, what does he say? These three remain, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. Every one of Paul's letters, he's emphasizing this faith, hope, and love are to be pillars of your faith, not just for you and your faith, but now working its way out in expressions of faith to impact other people and to be a blessing to God, that he wants this to be a part of you. Verse uh, six, it says this, that the gospel has come to you in the same way. The gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing within you since the moment you heard about it. That this gospel, this message of Jesus, of his life, his death, his resurrection, his grace that made a way for us to have access and have life with God through faith in him. That's the gospel message. That that has been bearing fruit throughout the whole world. No matter what region it goes into, no matter what uh, house it gets into, no matter what home it goes to, what personality, what relationship it bumps into, it's bearing fruit. Now where did Paul write this idea of bearing fruit? Elsewhere in one of his letters. You've all heard of maybe the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians chapter five, verse 22. Uh, you can read about it. 
He says that these, these fruits are the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. That these fruits are actually beginning to put on display and be bared out in the lives of people that the gospel is changing. It's not just a faith thing. It's not just a love thing. It's this hope thing that's activated and it's beginning to change how people live and how they see the world. It's bearing fruit, not just in you and the spiritual potential you have and what I see in you, but it's bearing fruit everywhere it goes. That the gospel is a global story and a local story. Global to everywhere in the world and local to you. That it's a story that can change you. And so Paul is writing, this fruit is beginning to take place and one of the nuances that you can read in here as you read through this and kind of marinate on a little bit is this idea, this truth that what Paul is saying here in this minute is that God is not finished with you yet. That we are all a work in progress and that God is not finished with you yet. Meaning if you're still here, God's still at work. And when you're not here anymore, you're with God and you're good. But as you're still here, he's still at work. It's bearing fruit. Bearing fruit is a continual thing. It's an ongoing thing. It's a seasonal thing, right? It's not just one and done. It's seasonal. It's all the time. And what Paul is writing to this church in Colossae, to the followers there, is God's still at work in your life. And then he's gonna get ready to point out a few things. But he set all this up to say, I believe in your spiritual potential. I believe that God has done great things in and through you and he's gonna continue to do great things in and through you and he's gonna continue to shape you more and more to, to be a reflection of Jesus as you live your life to him. Now, maybe you're here and you're like, oh wow, that's really nice. And maybe you're not a follower of Jesus. That's okay. I think the invitation, real simply, is to lean in a little bit, maybe over these next few weeks, because what Paul's gonna begin to unpack here is a prayer that he has for these people. We're gonna look at that next week. And then we're gonna take a break and do Serve Sunday. Just reminding you, Serve Sunday, February 5th. We're not gonna meet that night. We're gonna go serve in the morning over at Caring Ministries. I'll tell you more about that at the end of tonight. But a great opportunity. And then the following week, we're gonna look at this last part of chapter one, which is all about Jesus. It's probably one of the most beautiful passages in all of scripture about who Jesus is and why we worship and why our heart should be chasing after him as he's chased after us. It's this beautiful passage. And what Paul is setting up here is that this gospel story is at work within you. It's still at work within you. And it's got more work to do. But Jesus has great spiritual potential for you. And you are, Jesus is more focused on your destiny of where you're going than your history of where you've been. And as a church, we need to champion that. To be people who look at the people around us and believe in their spiritual potential of what God and his truth and his activity can do in and through their life and not just define people by their history. Because Jesus changes people, just ask Paul. It radically changed him. Because that's what Jesus does. And so this invitation, I think, to go through Colossians, I hope it's gonna be fun. I know tonight's a little more kind of 
overarching, but it's a beautiful book and one that I think you'll gain a lot from and one that I think we'll gain a lot from. So I just want to pray for us and we're going to move into a time of communion, end with the song here and then I'll close this with one quick announcement. Um, so that's where we're going tonight and uh, just thank you for being here. Thank you for choosing us to, to be a part of, of your journey, where you're at and investigating. Um, but as I pray for us, just lean into what does it look like for you this week to step more in to the spiritual potential Jesus wants for you and sees for you? What does it look for you to take another step in that this week? And what does it look like for you to open your heart to, to God and say, I know you're not done yet, so would you continue to, to help me take steps in journeying with you? And maybe as a person who's not walking with Christ yet, then maybe this is a week where you just say, Jesus, um, you obviously changed Paul, and you had an encounter with him, so would you have an encounter with me in these next few weeks together, that I might see you for who you really are. So Father, that's what we pray, that you'd help us go on a journey these next few weeks, uh, looking through this book of Colossians to to help us get to a place of having a secure hope in you, in the, the life and the work, the death, the resurrection of who Jesus is and all that he means, that we would see him in his brilliance, that we'd be captivated by him, that it would change us, it would move our hearts like you did for Paul. Would you allow some maybe in this room to have a fresh encounter with you that changes them? Father, for others of us, who've been walking with you for a while, I, I ask that you would help us to realize that you're not done with us yet. You still have work to do in and through us. Help us to live with an open heart and mind to embrace that, to be people who look at those around us and to see their spiritual potential of what is to come, not just what has been. And so as we take a moment to reflect through communion, remembering Jesus' blood shed for our behalf and the forgiveness of sins, his body broken and given, that through faith in him we can have life with you, God. Would you be with this moment as we sing and worship, aim our heart in your direction, stir us afresh and anew tonight.